Hey, and welcome to Epistle, a devotional podcast that goes through the New Testament one book at a time. Thanks for pressing on as we continue on through Romans chapter 9. I know these can be some confusing verses, but we're going to be picking up in verse 19 and going through verse 29, and hopefully we'll be able to explain a little bit of what we're looking at here as we continue to study God's Word together. Well then, you might say, why does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they simply done what he makes them do? No, don't say that. Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? When a potter makes jars out of clay, doesn't he have a right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and another to throw garbage into? In the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he is very patient with those on whom his anger falls, who are destined for destruction. He does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those to whom he shows mercy, who were prepared in advance for glory. And we are among those whom he selected, both from the Jews and from the Gentiles. Concerning the Gentiles, God says in the prophecy of Hosea, Those who were not my people I will now call my people, and I will love those whom I did not love before. And then at the place where they were told, You are not my people, they, there they will be called children of the living God. And concerning Israel, Isaiah the prophet cried out, Though the people of Israel are as numerous as the sands of the seashore, only a remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth quickly and with finality. And Isaiah said the same thing in another place. If the Lord of heaven's armies had not prepared a few of our children, we would have been wiped out like Sodom, destroyed like Gomorrah. Like I said before, we're kind of into some tough plowing as we look through the Bible, and I think it's another invitation for us that as we look at God's Word every single time that we enter into this time praying for wisdom and understanding that God's Spirit would continue to teach us through this time, that we would be able to help better understand what He's trying to communicate to us through the Bible. And as we look at these verses, what comes to mind immediately is that we continue on with this free will debate. Do people have free will or not? You know, in light of who God is, in light of God's characteristics, in light of him being all-powerful, uh, if people do have free will and God desires all people to be saved, then it seems like God isn't powerful. And you see, we have this debate of, of logically this progression of what happens is that if this is the case, then this is the result. The other option that we look at here is as Paul brings out right away in verse 19 and 20, this question of, well, aren't people basically just doing what God programmed to do? And Paul responds by saying, no, that is unhealthy. Don't think of this like computer coding, right, for us here today, where you can program a machine to do whatever you want it to do. Don't think of it like that. That is not correct because <laughs> you are the created being and God is the creator and the created cannot look to the creator and say, what the heck? What's going on? It's, it's not your place to say that. The other option here that we look at, if we do have free will and God desires people to be saved, is God powerful? Well, yeah, he is powerful. So then how does this kind of equilibrate? How does this synchronize with what we know to be true about God? The option we need to consider is that God is all-powerful, but he doesn't exercise his full power, which is what Paul hints at here when he's talking about those with whom reject 
the word of God, God is patient with them that they might still turn and repent of their sin and turn to him. You have to contrast here what Paul says against itself. We have to remember verses 19 and 20. And that's the beautiful thing about scripture is that you can take scripture and compare and contrast it to get the ultimate message that is being trying to be communicated here. Mainly that God loves the world and that he has come to save us from our sins. So how do we explain a few of these things? And we're going to look at just a couple of these. Destined for destruction is the phrase that's used in verse 22. And again, we're reading from the New Living Translation. Destined for destruction seems to be talking about those who have resisted the word of God. Destruction is the consequence for their decision not to believe the word of God. This is not their preordained inevitable fate. In verse 24, when he says those he selected... This is a bad translation from the NLT, and I'm going to say this right now. This is a bad translation, a bad use of this word. And if you look at the original word in Greek, this word means to call or to invite. So when God talks about calling the Jews and the Gentiles, he is inviting them into his family. He's not saying you, but not you. He's not this bouncer outside of his kingdom at the gates saying, yes, you and not you. In verse 25, another phrase we're looking at. Whom, did, whom I did not love before. This is going to the prophecy that Paul uses from Hosea. This is the contrast here that the Gentiles are extended God's grace. This is not saying that God didn't love the Gentiles until now. This is him inviting them into an even more unique relationship than they had beforehand, right? Comparing the fact that Israel was called God's chosen people and God says, you are mine, all throughout their history, the Gentiles are now extended that invitation to belong to God's family. What is Paul's highlighting here in this chapter? As we look at this, and we're going to wrap up chapter 9 in the next episode, Paul is highlighting the fact that God is glorified through both Jews and Gentiles. And this is a pretty radical point that he's making, because all throughout their whole history, there's nothing but, nothing but separation. The Jews actively avoid coming in contact with the Gentiles. They, they, they just don't do it. All they've known is separation. But now that Jesus has come and invites people into the gospel, there is now a unity that is unlike anything that they've ever experienced before. And Paul, in this chapter, is trying to highlight the, the beautiful imagery here and, and the incredible gift that God gives to all people that we have in Jesus. So as we see the unifying factor of Jesus through the gospel, the takeaway point for us to consider today are what are some other ways that Jesus unifies people? Thanks for listening to Epistle. You can find, follow, and give feedback on our Instagram page at E underscore Epistle. You can find all of the episodes for this podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and please feel free to share them with a friend. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.